This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. It's Monday, December 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's the host of Industry Focus. One of the hosts of Industry Focus, Christine Hargis. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. The news fairy showed up on Sunday, as some of you might have seen, in the form of a massive healthcare deal. CVS buying Aetna for the tidy sum of $69 billion. And that's why the host of the healthcare edition of Industry Focus is in the studio with me. Um, there's a lot to get to with this deal. So, let me start with this. When you saw the news, what was the first thing that went through your mind? I was like, oh, that, finally. <laughs> it has been reported, I was going to say rumored, but it has been reported for weeks now that these two have been talking. Yep, yeah, these details are not really that surprising at all. Um, even the fact that CVS is looking to do a deal like this, not surprising at all. We've known for a while now that management's looking at 2017 as a rebuilding year for CVS, and they've pretty heavily foreshadowed that an acquisition was going to come at some point. So here it is. So who's excited about this deal? Because at the moment, shares of CVS down a little bit. Shares of Aetna essentially flat, so there's not the. We've seen plenty of mergers and acquisitions smaller than this, but we've seen plenty in 2017 where both stocks are up. It is viewed by investors as a win-win. So, who's excited about this deal? Uh, maybe some traders looking to make a quick buck, because if you look at shares of Aetna, they are down pretty substantially below the buyout price that's been announced. Um, Aetna's trading for about $184 right now, but the buyout is for $207 per share. So, if you think this is going to go through, you could make a nice 10% or so. But that huge arbitrage opportunity is so indicative that people don't think this is going to go through. And so, remains to be seen, but there are a lot of big hang ups surrounding it. So, from a regulatory standpoint, people don't think this is going to go through because yep. these are, I get that the resulting company would be massive, but these are not two businesses. That really have a ton of overlap. Yeah, which I think makes this really interesting. Um, there is a lot of skepticism about it, but it's a vertical natured or uh, organization um, where you have Aetna, which is an insurer, and you have CVS, which has their retail pharmacies that we all know and maybe love, and they also have the PBM side, which is your pharmacy benefits manager, and that works with Aetna. But that's pretty much the extent of the overlap between these two industries. There's a little bit here and there, but by and large, they are two very different companies, and they're they're not competitors with each other. Which usually, when you see antitrust come through and block a merger, it's because it would be too big, it would cause prices to go up because there isn't enough competition. But the whole point of this, if you listen to management anyway, is to bring costs down. So, if you believe them, then maybe it wouldn't be blocked. But you also look at some other kind of similar mergers that haven't gone through as easily. Like consider AT&T and Time Warner. You know that those are two very different companies too. They're not competitors. It's a, a content company and a content distributor. So again, in a similar line of industry, but they're not your typical antitrust case. But yet, they the DOG sued, uh, sued to block it. So 
I have to believe that among the businesses that are probably going to make their opinion known, if not publicly, certainly quietly to regulators against this deal, I'm assuming United Health is one because this would the resulting company here would would I don't want to say it would dwarf United Health. It wouldn't, but it would surpass United Health, which is currently the largest insurer in the U.S. I would put Walgreens on that list too. If I'm Walgreens, I'm probably terrified at this deal. Yes and no. Um, it depends on what you think the result is going to be of the merger. I mean, I they claim that they're going to have a ton of synergies and they're going to be able to leverage all this data and have a, a stickier relationship with different customers. I don't know if I really buy it. I mean, for her example, there's been a lot of talk about how now when you go into the walk-in clinics in CVS, you can get somebody that's like very hands-on that can take care of you, and then on your way out, you'll be able to go pick up your prescriptions and also pick up some of the the other things that CVS sells in the front end of the store. And like as as an Aetna customer, you'll be incentivized to do that. But uh, so I currently I have United Healthcare insurance, and I can still go to these clinics, and I'm covered. So I'm not really sure why I might be even more incentivized. Like maybe I get an extra discount at CVS stores. I don't know. Unless there's a reason why United Healthcare's uh, patients wouldn't want to go to these minute clinics anymore. I, I don't really get why UNH would be against this deal. So let's, for the sake of argument, assume that the pessimists are right that this deal gets blocked. Do you anticipate CVS going after another insurance, a smaller insurance? Do you? They're clearly looking to buy someone. So, is it absolutely going to be another insurer, or or where do they go if this gets blocked? I realize it's a crystal ball question. <laughs> that is that is definitely asking me to peer into a, a murky at best type crystal ball. I. I don't know. I mean, CVS is clearly pretty afraid of the Amazon potential threat. I mean, who isn't? Amazon is a threat to pretty much all companies out there, particularly ones that have a retail footprint. So, CVS is looking to find a way to guarantee that their retail stores succeed. I mean, if unless they they want to divest themselves of their stores and just go the PBM route or maybe do like a mail order pharmacy slash drugstore that ships things to you kind of Amazon style they're going to have to find a way to make their walk-in stores more appealing to people and how exactly they would go about doing that whether it would be via a merger or not I am not really sure on Wednesday's episode of industry focus safe to say you'll be talking about this at least a little bit or or is or or is this checking that box for you? We'll see. Um, I'll definitely point listeners to this episode, but we actually covered this pretty extensively on the show a few weeks ago when the rumors first started circulating. So we'll we'll see what Todd thinks, we'll my, my usual up. co-host. Shares of Blue Apron up twenty percent this morning after getting an upgrade from Barclays. That must have been one hell of an upgrade because twenty percent. I mean, this is a stock that went public in June and. Just in the last few days, co-founder Matt Salzberg, who was the CEO, stepped down at the end of last week, and Brad Dickerson, who's the chief financial officer, he's going to be the new CEO at Blue Apron. Do you want any part of this stock? I mean, even with the upgrade, I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I've been reading some stuff this morning, both about Blue Apron, but also about HelloFresh, which is doing a ton of advertising. And uh, I mean, we we can delve into whether or not any of these businesses are going to succeed because I have like it's not like I look at Blue Apron and think, well, they're not 
operating the right way. But HelloFresh, they they've got the right model. I'm I'm a little skeptical skeptical of the business model in general. But yeah, this company has positioned itself as something that's going to be appealing to the mass market, and that's just not true. There are definitely people who will want Blue Apron, who are willing to pay a premium for it, because let's face it, it is a fairly expensive product. But I just don't see them ever reaching every single home. And a larger problem with this kind of business model to begin with is that customers don't often stick around. You get a lot of people that try the service, they do it for a couple of months, and then they get sick of it, or maybe they go to a competitor because the competitors are offering a discount for new members. And so there's this endless churn of always needing to acquire new members. And as you get farther and farther from your low hanging fruit, your easy core demographic, that gets more and more expensive. And that's so apparent in this business model that they are spending so much money to acquire new people, and that's only going to get more difficult. Yeah, customer acquisition cost is one of those metrics that is so important, and I feel like doesn't get necessarily as much attention as it should, just because it applies to so many businesses. It's not just membership businesses like this, but even just sort of credit cards. I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago when the the idea of negotiating your your monthly credit card fee started to gain some traction. And once you sort of dug into, well, why would a credit card company openly negotiate with a customer? Okay, yeah, we'll lower your fee a little bit. It's because once you find out what the customer acquisition costs are for credit card companies, you realize, oh, right, it is so much better for them just to make existing company uh, customers happy rather than trying out to go get new ones. Yeah, and I think if Blue Apron wants to succeed, that's the route that they need to go. They need to figure out how to keep these customers that come into their ecosystem and squeeze out more money from them. And I I don't see them being able to do that with a huge pool of people. I think if they're going to succeed, it's going to have to be from a fairly small base that is willing to pay up for some luxury products. Is alcohol a solution? Here, do you think at all? It's always a solution. No, <laughs> I mean I don't know if Blue Apron sells alcohol, but uh, I don't know. I feel like we've talked plenty of times about what what a wonderful high margin business that is, and if that I don't know if they could partner up with some like wine delivery companies. Those exist. Yeah, I, I get. I forget what it's called. I think it's called Drizzly. It's a, an alcohol delivery app. I get their little postcards in my mailbox all Drizzly? the time. Drizzly. I think that's what it's called. I mean, because it has to end in an L-Y in order to be a new tech company. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a federal law. Uh, before we go any further, I want to say thanks to Casper. I don't know the last time you bought a mattress, but if it's been a while, you should check out Casper. Their mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And they make buying a mattress easy. You order online, it's delivered right to your door. That's it. It comes in a compact box, free shipping and free returns in the US and Canada, and it comes with a risk-free 100-day trial. And considering that we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. And that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. So you don't have to go to a godforsaken warehouse and lie under those bright lights and pretend that's what it's like to sleep on a mattress. Uh, some of our coworkers here at The Motley Fool have bought these mattresses and love them. One of our listeners in LA bought a Casper bed for his mom using the Fool discount. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com/fool and using the promo code FOOL 
at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes before we get to our final story. First, we're hiring here at The Motley Fool. We're hiring uh, analysts and editors and for tech positions. So, check out careers.fool.com to see some of the positions that we're hiring for. And uh, because a few listeners have emailed in to ask, we have not yet posted the listings for summer interns. I do expect that to come before the end of the month, but it's not up there yet. So, hang in there. Uh, thank you to Dan Cuming. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. Thank you to Dan in Wisconsin for sending the peppered suede candle from Bath and Body Works. Yes, as Bill Barker and I were discussing the other day, we lit the candle. Uh, I haven't lit it here in the studio because I think Dan Boyd would come through the glass and and just knock me unconscious, and rightfully so because I don't think we're supposed to light candles in the studio. But um, but you got to you you thought. The name fit the scent of the candle. I mean, I thought it had a very earthly scent vibe to it. So sure. So uh, last Friday, the candle arrived, and uh, I probably shouldn't say this. You know what? I, I don't think anyone from the company that owns our building is listening. So yeah, so we lit the candle <laughs> down on the second floor, and um, uh, powerful scent, a pleasing scent. But the the consensus was amongst people that I talked to. Uh, kind of smells somewhere between men's cologne and deodorant. Which, once you say it, I don't disagree. Right. Yeah. But anyway, thank you to Dan for sending the peppered suede candle. Uh, and last but not least, a reminder that this Friday, we're going to be taping Motley Fool Money at Chatter, which is a restaurant in Washington, D.C., Northwest D.C., 5247 Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, we're going to be st- taping around 11.30 in the morning at Chatter, so come on by. We would love to see you. Uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, Dan Boyd is going to be there. A whole bunch of people are going to be there from The Fool, and uh, we'd love to see you. And yes, of course, we're going to hang out after the taping. I don't know what you're doing on Friday, but um, maybe do a little like work, because you live in the District of Columbia. I do. A little work from home in the morning, and then uh, come hang out at Chatter in the afternoon for a bite to eat and uh, possibly a beverage. I'm thinking about it. Um, today is National Cookie Day. How are you planning to celebrate National Cookie Day? I am probably going to try to run in the opposite direction, but <laughs> really? I'll definitely fail. I love that it's, and I don't know the origin of this. I don't know why it's necessarily in December, but it it is it is a month when I do a fair amount of baking of cookies, and it's certainly a lot. Uh, I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people baking cookies. Although, as you and I were discussing earlier today, the the number of freshly baked cookies in our office has dwindled over the last i would say over the last 12 months or so maybe a little bit more 12 to 18 months and as you mentioned we're now hiring so make sure that you <laughs> list that on your resume look if you can't put if you can't connect those dots people uh, there's not much more that Christine and I can do for you <laughs> but yeah no a few of our colleagues who did a fair amount of baking of cookies are no longer working here at Full HQ, and so that that has uh, has caused that to go down. Do you have a favorite holiday cookie that you go for? Holiday specific. Hmm. Um, so when I was little, can we? Sorry to interrupt. Can we just agree? I mean, chocolate chip. That's just that's your gold standard right there for the. That's oh, a staple. Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of variability within it. Like you get the the gooey kind, the crunchy kind. It's all 
all good. But so when we were little, my best friend would hold a holiday decorating party. And so it's just the plain sugar cookies that are in all the different shapes. And they would have heaps and heaps of different things to decorate them with. And it was a huge mess. I don't know why her parents let us do this year after year, <laughs> but it was amazing. And so I think the, the soft part of me in my heart just still loves those cookies because of those memories. Do you remember anything that you made? Like, do you remember any specific decoration? I do. So there is this girl that we were friends with growing up, and she, this guy had a crush on her. We were in like first grade, and she, <laughs> of course, by the nature of being in first grade, found this appalling. And so she wanted to make him like an evil cookie. And so she got a cookie and put all those um, those red hot beads on it, the spicy ones, and then covered it up with icing so that you wouldn't be able to tell. Oh wow! <laughs> and she gave it to him. That is diabolical. It's cruel. That is first graders, man. That is a dark side. <laughs> Much respect to the first grader. I feel like Evil Cookie is a brand that that would fill a niche somewhere. I'm not really I sure. Could see where. that. It would be like those letters that you mail to people and they open it up and it's just like glitter. Like okay, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of this? Yeah, this sure. Is the thing. <laughs> yeah, glitter bomb. Sure. Yep. Um, so, for me, at the holidays, there's a, a very basic. It's a cookie that my father referred to as an adult cookie, and uh, uh, they're basically just a, a spiced sort of shortbread cookie uh, called Saint Nicholas cookies. I'm I, I, I'm baking them later this week, and for Saint Nicholas Day, which is uh, the sixth, I think December sixth. So, the, will the, they will they be around for the taping on Friday? Um, I think they'll be in the office before that. I think they'll be in the office on Thursday. So, so you're not going to use them to bribe our listeners. I'm bribing our listeners with we're going to be at a restaurant where they sell food and alcohol in exchange for money. So I mean I don't know how much more I can do. Plus Dan Boyd, okay, food, that, that, that is the best beverages, and Dan Boyd <laughs> chatter this Friday. Christine Hargis, you can check her out every Wednesday on Industry Focus, the other daily podcast here at the Motley Fool. You can listen to the other episodes too, but um, definitely check out Wednesday, the Healthcare Edition. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Some of buying or selling stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooling. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Me.